pure enlightened consciousness and wisdom and compassion. We just are in different stages of unveiling it. So that's what keeps us alive. We put our energies out there and we get blessed back. The Mirror Cave. The Mirror Cave, episode 21. The Keanu Code. The discoverer of the Keanu Code talks about his experiments with fasting, the hidden esoteric symbolism in the filmography of Keanu Reeves, and jumping out of a hole. That's part of what got me into the whole thing is uh, people used to, I used to more so resemble like Keanu Reeves thinner but real similar facial structure otherwise so I, that's part of why I started paying more attention to his films and then my voice switches to that real quickly because the physiology is real similar and then when I finally found his full birth chart info with like the time he was born we have almost exact same astrological aspects that cause your appearance like the rising sign is exact same angle and we're both Virgos so like it's something like one in four thousand odds as far as all the potentials of the basic ways people will look we're on one to four thousand or more odds against i mean one out of four thousand chances whatever it is or forty thousand i forget the exact calculations but it was really in a way gratifying to see that because it one more thing that validates astrology because with the appearance thing you can see astrology's proof more directly because all the personality stuff can be very subtle and contradictory but the physical appearance when that's like people who are born the same time and place who look the exact same different parents supposedly uh but with him it was an exact confirmation after wondering about that for years it was cool to see it confirmed um my dad doesn't talk didn't talk much at all and definitely didn't talk much religious or speculative or spiritual things but his dad was very into all these different paths. He was at some point a Freemason himself. Uh, apparently, like fought racism in the South and allegedly got tarred and feathered. I don't know. I think that usually kills people, though. So, anyways, he had some troubles there and moved more westward and was a natural medicine practitioner. And uh, I didn't realize it growing up, but when I was a teenager and got into some of these spiritual topics, I realized he had my dad had saved these books my grandfather had that were about. Uh, fasting but also about um, natural health and about Atlantis about Edgar Casey, about reincarnation so I never got the chance to meet him he passed away a couple years before me and he had the same name I was given and he was he would do repeated 40 day fast strangely enough yeah so years ago I was back in Hawaii my parents for high school graduation got me a, a two way ticket to Hawaii to visit an aunt there and when I was in there, I spent almost no time out in the sun or swimming, only went snorkeling one time, even though I lived like two blocks from the ocean. But I got into fasting. So I stayed indoors, read books about philosophy, and started doing a water fast. First time I did it was five days long, and I got so sick a couple days into it, just like all these cold symptoms came out. Lost a whole bunch of weight. Years later, I did a 15-day fast and lost less weight. And I'm someone who doesn't want to lose weight, as you can tell looking at me. And so it was interesting because I... I got rid of so much toxic material the first time and then the body built itself back with better materials and didn't lose as much weight and felt better on longer fast after that why was I fasting stubbornness curiosity I found it very cleansing and it did seem to make my mind sharper over the years I think I'd I do believe fluoride is bad for the body after a certain degree it's a little good used cautiously 
I'm just going to go off on many topics I can tell. But as a kid, I liked the taste of fluoride, and my parents apparently couldn't stop me from eating the fluoride I'd brush my teeth with, the toothpaste. So that was one of many reasons I was pretty spaced out and slow as a kid. Also, I dealt a lot with little lead figures. Don't talk about that, because that's really nerdy. And would paint them and not wash my hands afterwards. So the fasting, I noticed at one point, I started to have more of a feeling of aliveness and awareness in my mind. A, a year or so after doing fasting, one day a week, it was eating raw foods. And it did definitely cleanse my system some. Wasn't quite right for the, my body type in the long term, but interesting. And so for years... During that process, I promised myself I'd do the classic 40-day fast because you hear about that in different spiritual traditions. And uh, for whatever reason, I got it stuck in my head that that's what I would do. Attempted it several times, but I'd only go 10 days and then just get frustrated because I'd have no energy and couldn't keep up with basic life things. So eventually I set aside some time and money to rent a cabin down in Southern Oregon, stayed there for two months and fasted for 40 days and was a little bit crazy, but uh, didn't get many deep, weird visions. I had one super vivid dream that I had in a way I hadn't had before. I'm not someone who has regularly loose, regular lucid dreams like some people do, but uh, a little glimpse. Then I kind of went crazy in a way that I became, yeah, I don't want to go into that too much. I uh, became obsessed with things that later I realized was a symptom of a bit of lead poisoning to the degree that my I'd accumulated a lot of lead in my bones because that's where it's stored long-term in my childhood. And then during water fasting, that tends to get pulled back out of the bones, which isn't all that good for the body because it affects the brain badly and the kidneys. Too much of it at once is bad. It was kind of miserable doing fasting. You're only hungry for the first two days usually when the stomach acid's still going, but then you're usually weak for the first 10 or 12 days, and after that you kind of get some strength back. And that never totally happened. I was kind of unhealthy going into the fast. And uh, yeah, so it was tedious, but I was determined to get through it. Um, I think my water levels were off after a while. I probably wasn't drinking enough water, so my I got weird inverse pressure in my ears. Um, when I left, the, When I got out of the fasting, the most important part in a water fast is to end it properly and it's really tough to do, to do that with a long fast because you just your body once it gets some food it has that survival instinct and wants to get more and more food which will damage the body if it hasn't been eating for so long because the the small intestine in particular all the cells there are shut down so they can't absorb the food so i disciplined myself to only eat berries and things for the first few days there was some uh, some blackberry fields nearby and I, just, I would eat those but even that was too much because it was so high in sugar so i started to get swollen ankles because my adrenals were so wiped out from the fast I'm going to avoid going down that rabbit hole because that's kind of outside the point but anyway so this fast I felt like I was doing it because I'd promised the universe or God or whatever or myself that I would do it so when I completed the 40 day fast my life did change a lot in the month or so after that various circumstances led me to move to Portland and it became much more connected to communities and just a much more social active life got into coffee for the first time it became very I guess, hyper-sociable where I had been very shy before. So probably reversed a lot of the health benefits of the fasting because coffee affected me so strongly. I just get such an intense drive because I never drank coffee before I was 30 or so.
Yeah, so after I did the fast from Portland, someone bought me a, my first latte. And I like the taste of that, but I, at the time I was actually studying brain nutrition and had been, t- been taking all these supplemental amino acids, uh, tyrosine in particular, which boosts the neurotransmitter dopamine, one of the main act- active energizing neurotransmitters in the brain and body. And so I found out later that caffeine especially affects that particular neurotransmitter. Um, so yeah, that was on a road trip. She bought me uh, this latte. I drank it. And then I was so charged up and just like my hands clenching around the dra- steering wheel and kind of started shouting. I was so excited when we got to the destination. I just had to go jog for half a mile to burn off some of the energy. And that was maybe a, the typical two shot latte. So I really enjoyed that. And then I just kept drinking more five shot lattes sometimes and would go totally crazy. And, uh, through parties more often back then. And uh, I just got really biz- really involved in open mics and just got ridiculous on stage because of all the caffeine in my brain and how that affected me so strongly. Again, caffeine, I think, affected me in a way that other people would be affected by cocaine. I think that it's all affecting dopamine, triggering receptors in the brain. And for me, maybe because I'd never done coffee my whole, my whole life and only done a bit of soda pop as a kid, I got really intense and uh, I'd always enjoyed doing sculpture and dreamed about making more costumes. This is before the days of 3D printing where people are making their costumes that way. So I really got into duct tape and I did some open mics as myself, but then I later let myself go really crazy one Halloween. I spent two weeks building a giant articulated whole body, big monster costume, like a big demon kind of costume even. And like my hands would come to its elbows inside the costume and the, the elbows had all these strings that would go lead to connect to hands that went out three feet further and then the strings would control the fingers of the hand so it was this giant literally eight foot by eight foot monster costume that covered my entire body made me look three or four times my normal size in terms of width and uh, it freaked me out whenever I saw other people wear it and not many other people wore it though because it literally weighed 100 pounds and it was on stilts and with an extending head above it with a big moving jaw it was pretty freaky lasted for a few years but eventually duct tape breaks down by cold and sun exposure so and it's tough to move from house to house when you're moving around Portland or wherever so yeah I did a performance in, in that singing classic rock songs on one musical mic and then I did other kind of sarcastic political performances on the poetry open mic so weird stuff a lot of the poetry was centered around masturbation stories I guess and I tried to push the limits of what I was comfortable or not comfortable with talking about and push the audience's comfortable limits sometimes people just cover their ears and run away sometimes they'd crack up I, I, I didn't do I haven't done much poetry for the last 10 years really but I went back maybe 4 years ago and just spontaneously started to talk about something I'd been really trying to get more involved with and was interested in more progressively over time. And I still plan on pursuing it more, but I just went on and on about, like I'd been reading about chi running, the idea of like healthier ways to run and how they combine Tai Chi principles with that. But what I really had been researching for years was what's called chi weightlifting, where it's not like putting qigong into lifting weights in a normal way, but in some qigong or internal Taoist internal alchemy books, qi weightlifting is defined as uh, as the term for lifting weights with one's genitals to bring the qi and sexual energy up the spine. So I went into my personal experiences and attempts and failures with that and how I had gradually been able to elongate my 
right testicle, which was always too tight. And so that, that got people cracking up and some walked out of the room because they thought I was being sarcastic, which I wasn't really, but, uh, yeah, I still haven't adopted that as a daily practice. So a lot of, a lot of Taoists practice that as a way to really, uh, well, to make their tantric practice, their sexual tantric practice more effective, but also just to pull the creative energies up into the brain because a lot of the Taoist alchemical framework is based on this idea of transforming Jing, the sexual essence, into uh, Qi up the spine and then into a higher vibrational form of Qi called Shen or Shan, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And that is long-term what you want to do for transcending reincarnational patterns or just the human state, you want to accumulate more of the spiritual high, high frequency energy called Shen that then causes the other, other energies in the body to work more harmoniously also. It kind of, yeah, it probably shouldn't go on a whole detour into Chinese medicine, organ, alchemy theory, maybe later. So, I mean, the coffee shop thing started where I was just realized I was being a little ridiculous and maybe being a bit of an ass socially because I think being on, for me, being on in an open mic on a regular basis, initially that nervousness of overcoming the shyness of getting up on stage, like that thing I hear a lot about, that's a top fear that most people have is public speaking. It's a little hard for me to imagine. There's got to be so many things that are worse than public speaking in terms of danger, fear, things. But anyways, that's maybe besides the point. Uh, I think I just yeah became a little too comfortable. I'd just get comfortable saying anything to anyone and maybe uh, morality can get a bit more fuzzy then, which is a good thing to a degree, but I think it's... I had to maybe relearn to be... Since I'd become sociable and more confident, I had to relearn some basic uh, considerateness, consideration. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, it made me more reflective. I also, uh, one of my housemates when I lived in a kind of pretty wild, semi-wild group house of hippie activist type folks, which I don't think I fully appreciated looking back at it now, but uh, yeah, that was the house they called the Ninja House, largely because I had a whole bunch of books on ninja martial arts stuff on the shelves. Who can resist collecting books about ninjas? It's just a little ridiculous, a little fun, a little cool. Uh and at that point, I'd actually dug a hole in the ground, like a two or three foot hole that I had the intention of digging deeper and deeper over the years, two inches at a time. And the goal was to practice jumping out of it at least 100 or 200 times a day to train jumping ability, which Shaolin monks would do more so than I think ninjas would allegedly practice it by finding a new bamboo bamboo shoot. And every day they'd jump forward and backward over the bamboo shoot and bamboo grows so high that they'd quickly learn to jump three or four feet in the sky and the air or even higher and uh, so Shaolin monks would do this by digging a hole in the ground and then jumping out into different postures every every uh, every day with increasing amounts of weights along their waist and uh, and legs to get super jumping abilities. But unfortunately, our neighbor was already irritated at our, our hippie gatherings we had there. And uh, this was next to his house. And I tr- in winter, the rain started happening, or the fall rather. So I tried to build a shelter over the. Uh, over the hole so it wouldn't get muddy so I'd keep jumping out of it and he got really pissed off about that and was threatening to call authorities and I didn't build a very good structure so it started to get blown around the wind and he'd worry about his garden but anyway so that didn't go too far but uh where was I going with this <laughs> yeah there was a train of thought there so the ninja house 
was a very sociable place, but I think I started to get overwhelmed by the socialness there. There was so much going on. I realized my nervous system couldn't quite take that much socialness. So I started to get back to being more hermit-like, moved out of there. And anyways, but yeah, one of the housemates back in the ninja house days got into a form of what could be called Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism, Gnosticism usually being defined as the early movement of in Christianity that was uh, more of a mystical form of Christianity that some people argue became came before what we generally define as Christianity, a controversial topic. But anyways, this form of Gnosticism embraced and combined many different forms of mysticism from around the world, Hinduism, Buddhism, emphasizing meditational aspects and, uh, and I guess you could say energy work. It got me into daily meditation, which was really good, and uh, achieving a bit more clarity of thought and deeper spaces of mind. Um, it's the first time I had a daily meditation practice of like an hour a day or so. Over the years, I ended up through kind of an experiment making garden gnomes professionally. And... Uh, and that, I didn't expect to take off too much. I did it kind of as a business experiment, kind of a joke, and it ended up taking on life of its own. Some years I wouldn't sell many, but then eventually through the internet, things got pretty big that way. But early on in the garden gnome making process, I was using a friend's basement laundry room at the time, and I it was just starting to kick in. But maybe the seeds of doom for maybe myself, or not doom, but difficulty different paths seemed to be coming up during that garden gnome process. I started to get, I'd been interested in metaphysical things of various topics for a while. And I think I'd been studying my encounter stuff around then back around 2008 or 2010 or so, maybe even earlier 2007. And uh, the gnomes were starting to take off, but then I started to, uh, for the first time in a more substantial way, hear voices in my head. Well, one particular voice, uh, there's a popular, I guess, conspiracy slash metaphysical slash comedian author, Robert Anton Wilson, wrote Illuminatus Trilogy and a few other books like that that he's famous for. But uh, he'd passed away maybe a month or so before this point, and I started to hear his voice or message in my head. It wasn't like a clear, distinct voice, but a strong message that kept coming in, especially when I was casting gnomes in the basement. And... Uh, it was maybe not a particular message, but more an encouragement to follow up with an idea that I'd maybe stumbled upon. Um, to follow up on this project, I think it seemed that he was telling me or my subconscious version of his voice was telling me to kind of continue on what he started in his Cosmic Trigger books. He would look at various aspects of what his... he Through various magical psychedelic experiments he did, he encountered a voice from the stars Sirius that would give him all these insights into life and precognitive understandings and uh, at the same time would tell him that there was something deeper and more important about the stars Sirius and he realized in his studies that various different metaphysical groups such as the Theosophical Society or Aleister Crowley's main group he was connected with the Ordo Templar Orientis if I'm pronouncing that correctly that they all considered Sirius some high truth the uh, the mystic philosopher Gurdjieff, 
Um, all these pointed to some dog symbolism to the dog star. And at some level, he, Robert Anton Wilson, came to some conclusion that it was kind of some cosmic third eye. And in that context, it seems that our sun, our solar system, is maybe the cosmic heart chakra, where the Sirius is a cosmic third eye or brain chakra, you could say, brain center. And those two had to have some connection. But also he got the message that Sirius was about time. And uh, in more recent years, different books have come out. One about the lost star of space and time, I think that's a title, that points out there is apparently some subtle connection between Sirius and our solar system. There's a distant gravitational or energetic connection between those two that's pointed to by various traditions and is tied into different time cycles. Again, the 2012 time thing seems very tied into Sirius. I think a month around that time I'd been, for some reason, rewatching mo- clips of the movie Speed, the Keanu Reeves film about the bomb on the bus. And uh, um, I, I had been reading about my encounter theories, uh, one of the more new age versions of that, the author Jose Aguilas, who was living around Portland at the time. And I'd see his adherence or whatever here and there and was aware of some of the ideas. And so reading some of his books, I was had become aware that two of the key numbers in the Mayan calendar system are 13 and 20. Those are some of the base numbers that other Mayan calendar systems multiply out from. And there's many Mayan calendars, but the main one that was in discussion at the time is about a 5,000-year cycle um, that was going to end in 2012-2013 era. So I noticed in speed, uh, one of the beginning sections where there's hostages on a elevator they kept emphasizing there's 13 hostages and that made me pay a bit more attention to it it was just a youtube clip i was watching for some reason but it made me curious to rewatch speed and i realized throughout speed that all these uh 23s and 10s were throughout the movie and there was also 33s which is 20 and 13 added together and there were other things in the movie that made me think of mayan end of the uh, 2012 symbolism a big thing i noticed was at the end of the film it kind of confirmed all my earlier suspicions about that being a subtle theme throughout the movie, a subtle symbolic numerical and character theme. At the end of the movie, there's, uh, if you're familiar with the film, most of it's on the bus. There's an elevator at the beginning, there's a bus, and then at the end there's a subway scene where Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock are trapped on the subway car, and things have kind of come to a head and a conclusion for the most part, but they're speeding, the subway has gone out of control and they don't know how to She's chained on, handcuffed onto the subway pole, and uh, so they go off the rails, and they're hurling through all this construction underground, and then the camera picture changes to the outside of the subway, where there's a big sign that says, no accidents in this many number of days, and it's on these big cards so they can change the numbers, and the numbers say 203, but there's just enough space between the the zero and the three that it perfectly makes 2013 and I knew that the end of the Mayan calendar was supposed to be right near 2013 on December 21st 2012 so again it's the repeating of those key numbers 20 and 13 plus it's the Mayan calendar end date and so then they flash back to the the crashing subway underground and then they go back to the outside scene and then the subway crashes right through the center of this big 2013 sign um, just straight through it in a way that emphasizes the whole crazy thing that the subway was number what was it was it number 20 was number 33 maybe and the bus they were on was number 33 there's all these way beyond coincidence numbers at least from my statistical analysis and opinion 
Um, so that made me realize there's something funky about these this movie and about and I'd heard different theories about Keanu religious symbolism before that he played the Buddha he played kind of a Jesus type role in the Matrix um, a savior type role in Bill and Ted so I started rewatching the movies and got more and more into paying attention to the sum- subtle similarities in the second Bill and Ted movie the number 33 occurs again in a subtle but fairly big way and all these numbers and names and things and symbolism and other themes appeared over and over again so I Maybe by my nature, I just tend to focus on details and like to follow things through to look at them in a holistic way. But I started to really get deeper into analyzing the symbology because at one level, it's ridiculous and hilarious. And at another level, there really seemed to be something there. So so anyways, this message from this author, Robert Anton Wilson, was to follow up on my on this project that was kind of brewing in my mind, beginning to take shape. And one of his books that I really enjoyed was his first autobiographical book called The Cosmic Trigger, which centered a lot on uh, the idea of communications in ancient times from beings perhaps from the star Sirius, or anyways, they really focused on the star Sirius, the the so-called dog star, and that's a fairly close star to our system in light year terms anyways. It's a twin star has a bit of a funky moving movement pattern in the sky. And at that time, I was aware that Keanu Reeves had been, instead of acting in the second movie speed, he just preferred to, or said he preferred to tour with his band, Dog Star. And so I started to realize there's all these other Dog Star symbols and symbolism all throughout his movies, or through a lot of a lot of them anyways. Um, in one of his first roles in a play, I re- later found out he starred, well, it was a play called Wolf Boy, and then later he starred in an uncredited role in a, a movie by his buddy Alex Winter, who was Bill and Bill and Ted. And uh, he was in an uncredited role in that as the dog boy, or Tease the dog boy in particular, and or Tease is a name that shows up in a key way in Speed. And anyways, it's all these interconnections of these different films. So when, as a dog boy, he actually was, a, it was about nuclear radiation caused circus freaks, and he actually was a dog boy character in that, chasing a squirrel most of the time. And that ties into other symbolism of the dog star that I won't go into right now. But it's all... Okay, well, the dog star is on... The literal dog star is on the nose of the constellation Canis Major. And uh, and it's always chasing a... What is it? Lep- lepus or lepus, which means the hare. But it ties into different mythology where there's a dog of the gods chasing the hare or other creatures. So as the dog boy he was chasing a squirrel which is a bit different but that he was usually invisible chasing the squirrel the whole movie was pretty funny um, and kind of ties in Uh, the dog star was real big to Egyptian civilization ancient Egyptian civilization at one level because it tied into the annual flooding of the Nile but also it was uh, the dog star was considered the celestial incarnation of the goddess Isis Um, and then Osiris in turn was uh what is Osiris? Oh, Orion. And then uh, other connections. Bill and Ted, the Bill and Ted films were put out by the Orion Productions before that went defunct. And uh, I'm out of practice in all this symbolism, but the Bill and Ted thing had various dog star symbolism. At one level, their guide is Rufus, who's kind of a auditory pun on dogs. Rufus, there's all these dog-related names. Donnie Barksdale and Keanu films, uh, on and on and on. Um yeah, that that 
rabbit hole itself could go on pretty deep. Um, again, speaking of rabbit holes, in many films, Keanu is following a rabbit also. In Speed, he's chasing Dennis Hopper, who in many ways is a white rabbit himself, the hopping, the uh, Dionysian character of many of Dennis Hopper's roles. I call him the Blue Velveteen Rabbit sometimes because of the movie Blue Velvet where he's playing the typical kind of crazy Dennis Hopper character. He literally gets followed into, follows him in a rabbit hole and speed the, chases him into the uh, subway, which is where Kiefer Sutherland, similarly, char- similarly named character, chases Dennis Hopper's character at the end of the first season of 24. Just And that's, again, another time-centric film. It just all goes on and on and on. You could say I'm leaping to these different conclusions, but I often get suspicions about something that's later confirmed in these movies. Uh, again, I haven't done this focus for a couple of years because I've been trying to catch up on other, other aspects of life. To learn about the Keanu Code in greater depth, go to KeanuCode.com. The Mirror Cave is produced by Scott Harrison, music by Acre, theme by Tectonic Crystal. You can subscribe on iTunes and reach us at TheMirrorCave at gmail.com. X-Ray.